things usually, ah, there they go. And so I have a big announcement to make this morning. I wanted to do it here, all right? So I'm going to do this, and you can let me know what you think. <laughs> I bring trash bags with me everywhere I go. Why are you clapping? <laughs> no, really, what's, what's going on? It's what? You think I bring pink balloons for our birthday? <laughs> All right, I have one more, too. <laughs> it's exciting. Tony Robbins runs around with a microphone, so I can, too, I guess. <laughs> About the same size. Trash bags empty, done. Mission accomplished. So, pink and blue. What do pink and blue typically represent? Can't hear you. Girl and boys. Girls and boys. All right. Yes, typically. But you're right. I did bring them for our birthday today. Yes. Happy birthday to us. Uh, six. We're six years old today. That's exciting. Um, but yes, there was a uh, there was a, an ulterior motive behind this because uh, it was a social experiment that failed because you guys thought about yourselves primarily and not me to congratulate me on a baby girl that we might be having or a baby boy. That we might be having, right? Uh, gender reveal parties. Those are amazing. <coughs> kind of. Uh, uh, we did one, right, Jess? Yeah. Yes, we did. We did one. I remember that. But I, was it for uh, Sadie, right? Yeah. So our little girl, we did this, and it was exciting. We had all our friends there, and, you know, we were, like, cutting. We did cake, right? Okay, I remember no details, apparently. Uh, but we cut a cake, and it was imprinted deeply in my mind, uh, just thinking how beautiful my wife is, so I lost train of all other thoughts. So when you forget things like that, you just compliment, and it's all better. Uh, so, um, But it was exciting, because we pull out this pink cake, and everyone's like, yeah, amazing, it was great. And then you discuss about, oh, I really thought it was a boy, or whatever. Like, what, what makes us think that it's going to be a gender? I don't know, the way your hip was flaring out that way. It really seemed like a boy. Or, why do you have a wife's hips? It's weird, right? Um, but it's, it's a social experiment. This is what we do socially. It's one of our customs now. Gender reveal parties are, are normal. And we, we typically have blue or pink because we're committed as a greater society, or have been anyway, uh, to binary gender categories. So the belief that we're either going to have a, a boy or a girl, and that we're going to celebrate uh, the fact that that will be their gender. Now, some people believe that gender is, a, um, is an outdated social construct that we should no longer uh, deal with. Uh, we should only focus on the sex of the child. And that's true, actually. When we get together and we're doing a reveal party, it's actually the sex of the child, but it's kind of weird to be like, come to our sex party, right? And we'll have balloons and cakes and we'll reveal stuff. It's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> right? So it's not culturally appropriate, so we deem it the gender party, but it would be more appropriate to call it a sex party. Just don't do that. So you'll have people that aren't interested in your baby show up, probably. <clears throat> um, gender. Gender has many options. So we talked about the, the traditional binary male and female, but there are many options now in our society for gender. Uh, New York City offers 31 genders. If you're an employee of New York City, you can choose one of 31 to be, to be known as, and I don't know, you know where they put that other than a system, but you can choose your pick. Tinder 
when I researched this a few months ago, there were 37 options. So swipe right, swipe left, I, I don't know. I've never played Tinder before, never will probably. Um, and so you, never, I never will. That's a bad time to use that's it. Oh, all right. so, so Facebook, 58, 58 gender options. Then they moved to 71, and now there's a customary thing. And I tried to go on Facebook and make a, a fake Facebook account last week. I have Facebook, but I wanted to create a, a different one just to go through the process. But it was frustrating how much information they're asking you for, so I never made it to see if the custom thing actually exists. But I'm sure it does. It gets very confusing because if you're looking at 71 different options of what you can be, uh, I like, if I go to a restaurant, I want two things. Just, just tell me my two options, like steak or fish, steak every time, right? I will choose that every time, fish and fish, I'll go to a different restaurant, right? Like, just give me two options, let me choose. 71, ah, overwhelming, don't know what to do with that. And yet that's where we're at, it gets very confusing. Let me give you a, a brief history, okay? A brief history uh, of gender, okay? Um, people are born with a biological sex, right? Chromosomes. You either have X and Y or X and X. What is X and X? Good job, good job. X and Y, good job, great, uh, amazing. So when you're born, with a certain sex, you have primary sexual characteristics, okay? This is kind of like a biology lesson here. Uh, I have no credentials and shouldn't be talking much more than I am about biology. But primary uh, sexual characteristics are the reproductive systems, right? That we are born with a reproductive system. That's what attaches us as humans to a specific sex. We also have secondary sexual characteristics, which would be like... Uh, typically, all right, typically, men would have broader shoulders, big biceps like me. Um, men, have, men have bigger hands, uh, traditionally. Women have um, more hips, I guess. I don't know. Stuff like that, right? Secondary. Height, men are traditionally taller uh, than, than women. Um, these types of things. So there's primary and then secondary uh, sexual characteristics. And really, until last decade, okay, the gender uh, that we had would be um, connected to the sex. So if we said that we were a female gender, uh, we would also have a, a female sex. All right. So this was until the last decade. Now, um, gender has always been expressed differently from culture to culture. Okay, in Scotland, okay, what do some men do there? They, yeah, they, they wear kilts. Let's get the right word, okay? Uh, I don't want to offend any Scottish people that want to be with us. I, I have no Scottish accent either. I'm being humble this morning. Um, but that's right, they wear kilts. Now, if I go into a cafe tomorrow morning and I see a bearded dude wearing a, a kilt, first thing in my mind is not like, hmm, I wonder if he's Scottish. I'm like, hmm, why is he wearing a dress? Right? That's just the first thing that's going to go on, on in my mind. I mean, I don't know if it's a special occasion, pants weren't clean, don't know, right? Uh, so 
In our culture, we have different norms than the culture of Scotland or a culture somewhere else in the world where clothes are like, ah, why would we bother with that, right? So we express our genders uh, differently from different cultures. But today, today, gender isn't necessarily attached to our sex. Male gender is not necessarily attached to our male sex. It isn't. And so gender identity, you probably have heard that term. Uh, you'll hear it a lot more, I'm sure, in the days to come. But gender identity really is a person's perception of whether they are male, female, or something else. So gender identity is a person's self-perception that I identify as male, female, or something else. Don't look at my body to find cues on that because I don't identify with my body in that regard. And honestly, this is the first generation, first generation that we know of that's able to make sex follow the gender. Okay? So we're the first generation in all of history to be able to make sex follow gender, meaning that there are surgeries, there are hormones that we can give to make someone's sex follow the gender. Now, traditionally, this has been the other way around. Hey, like, little ultrasound thing. Yep, definitely going to be a boy. I see it. You know, it's like, all right, cool. We expect the gender to follow that. Now we're saying, well, let's wait to name the, 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 the sex of our baby, even though there's some biological things going on. Let's wait because their gender might be different, and we as parents want to follow suit you know, with that gender and make their sex align with that. We'll do whatever it is that's necessary. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. That's where we already are. So Kate Bornstein, um, we're going to get into the Bible in just a minute, uh, but Kate Bornstein wrote a book called Gender Outlaw, several other books. Uh, Kate Bornstein, I forget her name before, she was a, a woman, uh, so she was born male sex, identified as a female, had the surgery, hormones, everything to become a, a woman, and I read her book Gender Outlaw a few months ago, and here's one of the, the quotes that she said. Jordan, I might need your help because this doesn't work when Y603 is being called. Mm. There you go. Here's what Kate Bornstein said. I haven't found any answers to gender. I ask every day of my life, what is a man and what is a woman? I, I finished her book, and I have to be honest, I was more confused than when I started. Because she is supposed to be a, an authority on the issue of, of gender and where we're going. And she has so many questions and not a lot of answers. And she's almost like wooing people into confusion. And I'm just being honest, right? Tried to have a very open mind when reading this. I felt very much more confused than when I began reading this. And this is what she said. And I said, Kate, I didn't sit her down, but I said to the book, Kate, you're not very helpful. You're not being helpful for the people that you are trying to reach. But if someone is reading Kate's book, I guarantee that they're looking for, for answers. They're looking for someone with authority to speak on this issue of gender. And so here's, here's what we look for. When we go to, to any authority for, for answers, or we go to a book, or we go to a person, and we're looking for answers, there's three things that we're looking for. And the first I've already said, do they have authority? Do they have the right to tell me what I can be or not be? So as we talk about gender, who is the authority to say, you can be or you can't be this. In our culture, it's me, right? Or you. You're in charge of yourselves. And how dare you tell me 
that I can't be what I want to be. I want to carpe diem all day long in this way. How dare you walk on my carpet, right? Don't do that. Who has the right? Knowledge. Knowledge. Who has the knowledge of what is best for you? Right? My kid, last night we had, a, um, we had an outdoor movie. And uh, there was one of our neighbor kids that he had, he confessed to having six bags of chips. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it was eight. All right? I wasn't counting, but I'm like, dude, you meant more chips, right? And so I'm sitting there, and I have the knowledge of what's best for this child, right? Not eight bags of chips. Um, I didn't say anything. I just let him go on and eat the eight bags of chips because it was a fun time. But I have the knowledge of what's best for him, and he doesn't, right? But I just went ahead and let him do it. I, that might not have been good of me. I'm, I'm like reflecting on it as I'm walking through this. Um, so authority, who has the right knowledge? Who knows what's best? But what's key in what, when we're looking for answers is who do we trust? Who do we trust? So not just who knows what's best, but who loves me enough to tell me this and pursue me with. So when we look for answers, we look for these three things. We always do it. Authority, knowledge, and trust. So I want to keep those in the back of our minds. We'll come back to it at the end of our, of our talk this morning. But here's what I want to do. I want to be very open. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I guarantee I disagree with what this guy's going to say about gender. Oh, that's okay. That's great. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're going to enjoy air conditioning as heat is being pumped um, like crazy outside, uh, stay a little bit longer this morning, have a conversation before you go back out. But this, this shouldn't be a fight. I'm not fighting you. Um, I'm trying to present what I really believe that God has said is true. Um, about 13 years ago, I gave my life uh, to God, meaning I surrendered myself to him. I saw him as preeminent. I saw him as the best. And I, and I traded in my life that I was living before and said, I, I need you and what you did for me, specifically through Jesus on the cross in the resurrection. We'll get to that, right? You're like already checking out. We'll come back to that, all right? But what I want to do is share an honest Christian worldview with, with you. Historically, this is what Christians have believed and how it applies to, to gender. It's just in the past recent years that we've actually had to have uh, explicit conversations about this. And I think this is good. I think we should be having these conversations. And if you disagree with me, I'm going to challenge you. Don't leave. Don't be like, screw this, I'm out of here. Don't do that. Wait till I'm done. And then afterwards, I'll give you the microphone. Not, not for everyone, but I'll go stand over here, and you can preach at me what you believe, and then we'll talk. might be awkward, uh, or we can just have a conversation over coffee, whatever you want to do. But don't leave. Listen to it all. Think about it. And then let's talk about it after. I would love, I would love for you to push back on some of this stuff. Because the Lord pushed on me for so many years. So, here's a Christian worldview. Uh, Genesis. In the Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible as you're leaving today, please grab one on your way out. We're going to put all the verses up here on the screen for you. Genesis, very first book in the Bible. Okay, You open up the front, past table of contents. All right, uh, There's no picture of God in there. Okay, There's no biography or anything like that. So just go right to Genesis. All right, Genesis 1, making this easy for you this morning. Genesis 1. Here's what we see, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. We believe, it, it's strange, because you're like, okay, God is saying this, who's he speaking to, who's this us and our? Can't do a big thing on this, but we believe that there's only one God. Not 
We're, we're not polytheists. We don't believe in many gods. We believe in one God, but three persons, but one God. And you're like, ah, I don't understand that. That's okay. That's okay. I'm just trying to explain what's going on here. We can talk about that as well later. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, livestock, over all the earth, every creeping thing creeps on the earth, everything. Amazing. So here's the thing. We're intentionally made in his image. You weren't an accident. Um, you just weren't. Even if your parents like, ah, you were surprised, you weren't to God. You really weren't. You were intentionally made in his image, in his likeness. You were made to be like God. That's amazing. Uh, hamsters are far from the image of God. Roosters that crow before the sun comes up, far from made in the image of God. They should be supper, right? Um, there are all of these things in creation that are not made in the image of God. We are. God has, has pulled us out. He has separated us. We are different than all of the rest of creation. We are intentionally made in his image. And he goes on further in Genesis 1. Next verse. God created man. Don't, don't get caught up in the, in the singular piece of that. Mankind, humanity. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so as I said, I'm presenting the Christian worldview. So you believe that God created on purpose male and female. That he made male and female not to be interchangeable. There's not a, a bullet point at the bottom, like, unless you disagree with me, um, then go ahead and do whatever you want. There's not that. And, and I just want to be straight with you this morning that we really believe, and, and I believe the Bible teaches, that male and female are made on purpose, intentionally, not to be interchangeable. In fact, in verse 28, the next verse, we see that they're supposed to complement each other. God blessed them, the male and female. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The first command of God is go make babies. Right? You're like, oh, okay, how do we do that? He's like, oh, go figure it out. Right? Uh, go have fun with each other. Be fruitful and multiply. Andrew Fulford is amazing. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was away for two weeks because uh, I got married. He's like, dude, don't apologize for that. Celebrate that. It's amazing, right? Um, amazing. Uh, but male and female are made to complement one another. That the man is not the woman, the woman is not the man. They're not like, you want to just trade? Like, it's not that. It's we want to complement one another. This is how we're made. And here's what God says in verse 31. God saw everything he had made, including the male and female. Behold, it was very good. Like, this is amazing. God does, you do not hear God say this in the Bible often. Wow, this is very good. On this occasion, he does. This is very good. This is without blemish. This is stainless. This is righteous. This is very good. So God lays out this very good blueprint, and we're applying it to gender this morning, but it could apply to everything. So male and female, working out their male and femaleness is a very good thing. As we talk about gender so often, um, we, we talk about hiding. And we will talk about that. We talk about shame. But look at how things were created. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Can you imagine a world like this? Like, get over the, the weirdness of everyone being naked, okay? But the idea that, like, our souls can be naked before one another. I can stand here and say, this is exactly what's going on with me. This is who I am. 
And you would do the same exact thing, and we would embrace one another. We would be for one another, not saying, oh, my goodness, I'm so much better than they are, I'm so much better, or he's so much worse, or whatever. Right? We want to close ourselves off, even from the people who are closest to us, because sometimes we think, man, if they knew who I really am, they wouldn't love me. I hear this in marriages. People who have been married for 20, 30 years, I'm sitting with them, and one of them is saying, if I tell her what I'm really thinking and who I really am, I'm afraid that she won't love me. And I'm like, so for 20 to 30 years, you've been hiding this. You haven't been showing her who you really are. Yes. Oh, that's brutal. That's brutal. We weren't made to be this way. We were made to be open. No shame. No hiding. But this isn't the world that we live in. So what happened? How did we get to the place where we all want to hide and say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing great, amazing, it's awesome, life is great, as we're decaying inside, as we're, we're oozing with shame? How did we get to this place? Well, just quickly, we chose a different future. God said, I want to give you life. Life is yours. And we said, no thanks. We want to, we want to choose to rebel against you. We were made in God's likeness, um, but we chose as humanity to believe a lie that, no, we need to be equal with God. And so we're, through our work, specifically by eating the fruit of a tree that God said, don't eat of this, right? One little thing, uh, through our rebellion, uh, we become unrighteous. I talked a lot about this last week. We chose a different future. And so in a moment, we went from being very good we went from being very good to now being broken actors and actresses. It's a fun word. Broken actors and actresses on a broken stage. Now I can say it. On a broken stage for a limited time. Broken for a limited time. We went from being offered life eternal to enjoy God, to live under his provision and protection forever, to have him as our dad who comes to walk with us in the middle of the day or in the cool of the day, to enjoy him, to enjoy relationship with him, to not have to go to an Ikea manual, but to say, Lord, you made Ikea, you made these funny pictures of these frumpy people. Um, what? How do I do this? We were made to be in relationship with God. And now things are broken, broken actors, broken stage, limited time, because we chose a different future. And what happened when we said, God, we don't want you in charge anymore, there are many things took place, but here's two. Here's two verses I forgot to take out this morning. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart. Heart is the motivational factory. This is where there are little you know, blood cells or something like pranking out your motivations. right? It's where our motives are, lie. I can't tell the reason that you do certain things. Oftentimes only you can. Our heart is a place where our motives or our affections lie. And what happened when we said, God, we want to be the, our own ruler, our, our heart became sick and deceitful, deceptive. We don't even know ourselves all that well. We talked about that last week. But we became broken actors with, with sick hearts. Sick hearts that don't want what is good, right, perfect, and true. And our passions were distorted as well. So 1 Peter, a book in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 11, he writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain 
from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. This isn't a, a platonic thing he's saying, like body is bad, soul is good, do things for the soul, not for the body. Flesh is not body. Okay, flesh is who you used to be before meeting Jesus. Old you, going back to living your rebellion. Abstain from your rebellion because it's getting in the way of your soul. It's getting in the way of your soul delighting in who Jesus really is. So our passions became distorted when we said we want to be captains of our own ship. Here's what a guy named Andrew Walker said. Wrote a book um, called God and the Transgender Debate. He said, the Bible tells us that embracing a desire at odds with the creator's design will never bring ultimate happiness. So, yeah, gender can be part of that, but this is anything, anything, any way that we are at odds with the creator's design, it will never bring ultimate happiness. It will never bring peace. It will never satisfy. You are made to be satisfied by the creator. Only he can satisfy you. So now I want to go back into gender. So that's the Christian worldview very quickly. Um, I want to go into gender. Um, one in 215 to 300 people experience some form of gender incongruence. Okay, so there's, there's one out of 215, 300 people questioning inside of them, mm, do I, I really don't feel completely like a man or a male or completely like a female, and it might just be in one area of life or at one time, but there's some sort of incongruence. Okay, so that's quasi-common. One in 215 to 300, still not all that common. Um, but it's one in 10 to 13,000. Okay, hear that number. One in 10 to 13,000 for males, or one in 20 to 34,000 females who experience and live with gender dysphoria. So gender dysphoria is a diagnosis, right? It's in the DSM-5. Um, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, something like that. Um, in the, the DSM-3, it used to be called Gender Identity Disorder, but we didn't like the disorder piece of it, so we changed it to Gender Dysphoria, which expresses extreme distress. The fact that a different gender is living inside of a different sex, right? that literally feels like there's an alien body we're walking around with, that this isn't really mine, that I'm supposed to be living in. So it's not that common, at least as it's being reported. So it might be more common in that people aren't going for, for counseling, aren't going for any therapy for this. But what is being reported anyway, there's a very small number of people actually experiencing the, the diagnosable gender dysphoria. But that one in 10,000 is still a one in 10,000. That's a person made in the image of God intentionally by God. That's someone that God loves with all of his heart. That's someone that God is, is pursuing. That's someone that God came to, to lay down his life for, the person of Jesus. And so that one in 10,000, that one in 34,000 is very important to God. Extremely important. And because that one person is extremely important to God, then that one person should be extremely important to us. That we as the church, as the people of God, need to think, how do we care for that one? 
There's a parable that Jesus tells where the good shepherd leaves his 99 sheep behind to go after the one that's lost. I think this applies to this issue of gender as well. It's a brutal thing to live with, so I've read. Can you imagine waking up every day wishing that you didn't wake up in the body that you did? Can you imagine going to the, the washrooms and saying, I, I am going to go in this washroom, but I don't feel like I belong in this washroom? Can you imagine going to a store and being divided between which clothes do I actually go to? I can't imagine that. So my heart this week broke for people who are, who are working through this. And if this is you, I, I want to help. I want to help in whatever way I possibly can. And part of what I'm going to say this morning, I hope, helps. Further beyond this, there's, there's no known cause for gender incongruence or gender dysphoria. So it's not like we can just say, like, oh, you're experiencing this. We'll just do this and everything will be good. Oh, the reason you're going through this is because, you know, your mom didn't hug you enough or, like, you saw this thing or, like, there's none of that. We have no idea. And when I say we, I mean the people who are way smarter than me, and I read their books over the past few weeks. They're saying, we just don't know. We just don't know. So what do we do with this? What's the solution? We don't know what causes it, but what's the solution? I really see three. I see three. One of them, my last one, I'm going to affirm and say this is where I think that we need to move. Number one, the solution to gender dysphoria, gender incongruence, first option is we just remove gender. Let's just remove this as a category altogether, and uh, it'll be way easier to get along as a society. What's interesting, though, is Kate Bornstein, you know, the, the trans woman, doesn't agree with that. She says, some people think I want a world without gender, something bland and colorless. That's far from how I live. She went on to explain with expletives that, uh, you know, here's why, but she doesn't want to get rid of gender. Caitlyn Jenner, when she came Caitlyn Jenner from Bruce Jenner before, said that when she received the, the surgery and all the hormones and everything, she's like, oh, now I feel, now I feel as if everything is right. So they aren't saying, let's just get rid of gender. It's no, we, we want gender. Furthermore, God says in Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So honestly, humbly, but honestly, we have no right to remove things that God has put in place. And if you don't believe that God is your God or the one and living God, right, then you're going to push against that. And I would expect that. But if, if God is the true and living God and he's your God, then we submit to this, even if we don't understand it, even if we disagree, we say, okay, all right, the earth is yours, therefore removing gender isn't a real option. The second option that we have is to promote surgery. Promote surgery, to say, okay, someone is stuck inside of this body, uh, the, the way to move forward is just to rearrange the body anatomically, um, give some hormones that the body's not naturally giving, and fix this person. Um, this guy's controversial, I, I understand that, but Paul McHugh, uh, University Distinguished Professor of Psychiatry, it's a long name, right? Distinguished Professor of Psychiatry, John Hopkins Medical School, and the former psychiatrist-in-chief at John Hopkins Hospital. Here's what he has to say about it. 
the surgery piece. Gender dysphoria belongs in the family of similarly disordered assumptions about the body, such as anorexia nervosa and body dysmorphic disorder. Its treatment should not be directed at the body, as with surgery and hormones, any more than one treats obesity-fearing anorexic patients with liposuction. The treatment should strive to correct the false, problematic nature of the assumption and to resolve the psychosocial conflicts provoking it. So here you have the psychiatrist saying it's, this, is a, this is a psychosocial reality and let's not just attack the body and change the body because that's not going to cure it. That's not going to make everything go away. We don't, we don't treat people with, with anorexia with liposuction. Right? We think that, that they have more fat. That's a serious thing we should talk about as well. But we don't do that. And so why would we just go at surgery for those who are struggling with, with gender or experiencing true gender dysphoria? Andrew Walker says this, The passion to live as a member of the opposite sex isn't simply satisfied by surgically altering your body. There are deeper issues at stake than exterior, physical, and cosmetic alterations. Surgery will not make someone whole. If this is you, it can't make you whole. You're so much more than just what your gender is. We said last week you're so much more than what your sexuality is. You're intentionally made in the image of God, and God wants to pursue you. He loves you. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're going through. He's not embarrassed by you. He's not pushing you away. He's drawing near. He wants to come for you. He wants to enter in. He doesn't want to just say, yeah, okay, go get your surgery. He says, I want to be your surgeon. And I don't want to perform surgery on your body. I want to perform surgery on your heart. That we have this great surgeon that's not, that's not content for us just to modify our behavior. In fact, surgery can be much like religion. Religion says, if you do these things, you'll earn this. Surgery says, if you can just look like this person, then you can be that person. But religion is so bogus in so many regards. Because you can't earn your way to God, and I don't believe you can earn your way to actually feeling like, yes, now, finally, I can be at peace with myself. I just don't. I've read so many little snippets of biographies over the past few weeks of people who have gotten surgeries and said, ah, oh, I, I think I've made a mistake. I believe in Quebec you can have a, a surgery and then have another one to go back to be the same sex you were born with. This is a serious thing. So I don't think that surgery should be the promotion. What I think should be promoted, especially by the church, is, is this, is what God promotes, is that we remove the brokenness. Remember, we became broken actors on a broken stage by saying, God, I want to be in control of everything. I know better than you. I don't need you to be my provider and protector. Well, I believe the solution is removing the brokenness. Let me say this. I don't believe that gender dysphoria is sinful. I don't believe to, to be having feelings inside of you that, ah, oh, I long to be uh, this person. I, I, I have these desires that I didn't choose put on myself. I don't believe that, that that desire in and of itself is sinful. But here's what Andrew Walker has to say about this. Andrew Walker says, letting that feeling rule, to feed that feeling, so it becomes the way you see yourself, 
the way you identify yourself, the way you act, that's sinful. Because it is deciding that your feelings will have authority over you and will define what is right and what is wrong. It is to act in the same way Adam and Eve did in eating from the tree. I believe gender dysphoria is an effect of the broken world. It's an effect of it. You didn't choose that. You didn't decide that. But what if someone could actually go in and remove the brokenness? What if there was a surgeon that could go in and mend your heart? In Genesis 3, there's a promise given to humanity that one day God was going to come in and remove all the evil. And he was going to do it through the cross. Jesus was the only unevil, non-evil person to exist. And he came, went to the cross, became all the evil, all the vile, all the nastiness, all the sin, so that you and I could receive the identity of being righteous, so that we could receive the identity of being children of God, beloved by him, and so that we could be made new creation. 2 Corinthians, the book of the New Testament, says this. Therefore, if anyone, okay, you have to read that, anyone. So this means very confused with my gender, very confused with my sexuality, very confused with this, this, whatever. Anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're not defined by your passions and desires and your assumptions and the cultural affirmation. That's not what you're defined by. You're defined by who you are. According to God. And God says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone takes what Jesus did on the cross for them, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's begun. There's been a removal that's taken place. The penalty for, for being out of line with God's perfection is death. That's pretty hard, right? But God said, but I removed that penalty on the cross. And if you will just say, Jesus, I need you for that, forgive me. I need the penalty removed. He will. And so the penalty for sin being death, that can be removed. He can remove the power of sin. Meaning, I used to give in to these things. But no longer are you a slave. We already sang that earlier. No longer are we a slave as new creation. We don't have to give in to these things anymore. So Jesus has removed the, the penalty the power, and one day he will remove the presence of sin altogether. Sin will no longer be talked about. When Jesus returns and makes all things new and reconciles all things to the Father through himself, sin will no longer be a thing. It'll be removed. Won't that be a good day? That'll be a much better day than, than the little celebration we're having. Yay, new creation, orange balloons, right? It'll be a day with the best wine. Did you know that you've never tasted the best wine before? I went to Australia. Uh, rich guy I stayed with, very rich, wealthy. Uh, he broke out this wine. He's like, we're having this wine tonight. And I said to his wife, I don't know that wine. She's like, you don't know that wine? I'm like, no. It's the fifth most expensive wine in all of Europe. Okay? Like hundreds and hundreds of pounds for this one bottle of wine. And, um, and he broke it out that night. And I'm like... You know, kind of, this is wasted on me. You know, I don't have a palate to be able to, to enjoy at this level. And in my mind, as I'm drinking this, I'm like, this is lame compared to the wine that the Lord is going to give to us on a celebration day when he brings us to be with him. It would be the best celebration that has ever been. 
So the removal of penalty, power, and presence of sin. Also, you can be redeemed. You can be set free. You can be set free. This morning, you can be set free from what you've been in bondage to. Romans 8, that, that Andrew read for us, such a powerful, um, powerful verses. I want to read a few of them. In verse 22, here, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is groaning. Hurricanes, earthquakes, world's going crazy, it feels like, in this time. We're groaning. When is this going to stop? Who is going to step up and lead and make all things right? And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. If you're here this morning and you're experiencing gender incongruence, gender dysphoria, you can be redeemed. You can be set free. There's so much hope for you, even in the midst of groaning. It might not all go away. It might not all be made better. But you are free to no longer have to figure out your identity anymore. You can groan inside of a new creation body, saying, I can't wait to be made right completely, Jesus. You can be completely redeemed. Here's the good news for us, is that our groans, that we groan. And if you're dealing with anything revolving around gender, I'm sure you're groaning as well. But our groans do not have to be eternal. Revelation, last book in the Bible, says this, I saw a new heaven, new earth, First heaven, first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne, God's voice. We're going to hear God's voice. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, mankind. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I can't wait till this day. I can't wait till this day. I can't wait to see God wipe every last tear from our eyes. Where tear ducts apparently are not part of the new creation anymore, because we can't use them. And if you're dealing with gender dysphoria, gender incongruence, God hears your groan. He wants to set you free. And he's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you. He's not embarrassed by you. He's not going to shame you. He wore your shame. And he's proud to call you his child. He's proud. If you're in Christ, he's proud. And he wants to transform you. Not into a gender. He wants to transform you. To be just like his son, Jesus. He knows the pain that you're experiencing. And here's the reality of the cross. That Jesus experienced dysphoria for you. The distress that Jesus experienced on the, on the cross was a forsaken experience. If you experience gender dysphoria or gender incongruence, I've read that it feels like being forsaken by all of humanity. I've read that it feels like no one understands you. You'll never fit in. Well, there's one person who experienced dysphoria for you. 
who went to the garden and was sweating drops of blood. He was under such duress. Went to the cross, experienced being forsaken, so that you never ever have to be forsaken by God. God is not against you. God is for you. He showed us that on the cross. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you peace. And this is what you and I long for. We all long for peace. God wants to support you. God wants to walk with you continually through this. This is good news for you. It's good news for you that we have a crucified creator who is risen from the dead to tell you, I want to change you. I want to give my spirit to you. I am so for you. In the deepest moments of confusion, I want to be your anger. I want to be the thing that holds on to you. Even when you don't feel like you can hold on to me, I'm going to hold on to you and I'm not going to let you go. In your deepest moment of despair and confusion, you cannot cause for the Lord to leave you. He is for you. Now for the church, those of us who don't experience this, how do we respond to those confused or even convinced about gender? Love. We love them. Not in a fist pound, I love you, bro, or I love you, whatever, like I just love you. Not that. But I want to get to know you. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your frustrations. I want to hear what is it really like to live as you're living. And not sitting in judgment being like, oh, I got Bible verse that, I got Bible verse that, Bible. Not that. I want to love you. I want to have compassion. I want to weep. As you're telling me the story of how you're rejected by all these people, I want to weep with you. Because I can't imagine that happening. Church, we need to be patient. We can't expect for, well, I don't know, I talked to them and like there's no change. Like You talked to them yesterday. They've been dealing with this for years and years and years and years. We have to be patient. And I think the best way that we're patient is we pray for them and we let them know that. I'm speaking to God about you all the time. We're patient. And to bring truth. Do you know that you don't have to be defined by your gender? You don't have to be defined by your anatomy. You can be defined as a child of God. You can be defined as righteous. We give them truth. And I want to be a church. I really do. I want for Church 21 to be a church where... We're not waiting for people to get their gender right before they're loved, embraced, and belong to this family. I want for our church, okay, and I, and I say this and I know what this means, right, for our church to be a bit messy. Meaning that, yeah, we're going to have to walk through these conversations. We're going to have to have meetings where people are, are yelling at other people because everything is against their world. Okay, great. But I want to just where we're dealing with this stuff. Not with our, our Bible verse recipes, but with the gospel, with the good news. That any other identity pursued outside of that in Jesus is going to be one that doesn't fulfill, doesn't satisfy, and leads to death. So we need to pursue anyone. With you can be part of new creation. You are deeply loved by God. God wants you. And so we want to be a church that loves indeed. How do we... How do we run at 
people. Rather than saying, well, if they come, if they come in here, then we'll have this conversation with them. Now, how do we intentionally run toward these people and say, I'm so sorry that we as a church, the church, have rejected you? I'm so sorry also for other churches who just said, you can do whatever you want. God doesn't really care. You're a unique snowflake. Do whatever you want. That's wrong too. But how do we approach people with love, patience, compassion, and truth? I want to figure that out. And I believe that's what the Spirit wants for us as a church to move in. So let me end with this. We said at the beginning, we need answers. We need answers. There's a lot of questions I didn't go through. Okay, You're like, why didn't you cover this, 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 this? Because I tried to keep it under 35 minutes this morning, and I didn't. I already failed at that. Okay, um, But I knew it was our birthday, and you wanted extra content, and so I, I provided that for you. So you don't need to thank me. I just trust that you will. Um, but here's the deal. We believe Jesus has all authority, and he is the authority. Not Kate Bornstein, not Dwight, not Josiah, not Andrew, not anyone else you're going to talk to this morning. Jesus is the authority. There are things Jesus says that I'm like, I don't know if I like that, Jesus. But it's not up to me to determine whether I like it or not. It's, it's for my heart to be in line with what he wants. He is the authority. Jesus has all the knowledge. He knows what's best. And he's saying, follow me. Do you realize the people Jesus asked or told to follow him? He asked thieves and people who were ready to murder a lot of people in the name of God. He's like, yeah, follow me. Right? They were ready to kill each other at times, these disciples. He said, oh, I want you as my followers. Jesus is ready for anyone to be his follower. This morning you say, man, I love the sound of this Jesus. Then submit to him. Say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want to follow you. I don't know everything that I'm getting into, but I want in. And you become a new creation this morning. Changed. And we want to walk with you in this. So the authority is Jesus. The knowledge is his knowledge. And you can trust him. How do we know that you can trust him? He created you. He was crucified for you. And that could be sad if it ended there, but he rose again for you tell you that there's real life, life beyond the grave, and I want to offer it to you, and I want to bring you in myself. If this raises questions for you about gender, about how we're approaching this, if this raises questions for you about who Jesus is and what he's done, if you're saying, I need to become a follower of Jesus this morning, we want to talk with you. I want to talk with you. So after our gathering this morning, let's make sure we do that. Um, we're going to sing in a few minutes. Uh, singing is declaring. It's not Christian karaoke. It's declaring some of the truths that, that, that we believe about who God is, specifically as they regard or in relation to gender. As we're singing, as things are moving, as you're frustrated, angry, excited, whatever, we're going to have some people over on the side here that can pray for you, pray with you. I need prayer a lot. I need for people to be praying for me. You need people to be praying for you. You're saying, oh, that's embarrassing. You know what you do? You just walk by them. You say, hey, meet me out there, right? And they follow you in an uncreepy way because you asked them to follow you, right? Um, and they'll, they'll pray with you and you can talk out there as well. We're going to respond through communion, which is being reminded through the, the, the bread, the wine juice, being reminded that Jesus' body was broken. He experienced dysphoria so that you and I never have to be separated from God. 
He shed his blood completely so that you could be made whole. It's amazing. Amazing. And then we're going to give. There's a black box there. Uh, we, we don't give so we make ourselves feel better. Uh, we give because God is a generous God who's given everything to you. And we as a church have certain needs. Uh, we need to pay staff. Uh, we need to pay for the theater, right? This, this actually costs money. It's amazing, right? We contribute to that together. But it's not just that. It's not keeping this going. We want to plant churches. It's our sixth birthday. Uh, we've planted two churches so far and contributed to a third church plant. And we've contributed to five church plants in India. And we've accidentally planted two churches in Brazil, okay? So six years, right? This is an adolescent. I don't know. It's not an adolescent. <laughs> Six is early for an adolescent, right? Uh, we, what do you call them? To- toddlers? That we're six, dang it! All right, and we're doing we're doing thirteen year old things. All right, so we need we need uh, for the people of God to be generous. We don't need your money so that I can wear better clothes. Uh, we don't need your money so my kids can eat. We don't need money for that stuff. We need money so that more people can meet Jesus. We can plant more churches. More people on mission in their neighborhood where there's broken actors on a broken stage for a limited time so they can hear about this good God who loves them, pursuing them, rescuing them. I'm going to pray, and we're going to respond. Happy birthday, Church 21. Jesus, thank you that this, this birthday, this is not about us. This really isn't. So as much as we celebrate this, we're really celebrating your faith us. That you have rescued a bunch of people already in Montreal. You've planted churches uh, through us. More people are meeting Jesus all the time. This is so exciting. And we're getting to send more people out. Lord, I can't wait. I really can't till this, till this theater is filled to the brim so that we can send more people away to plant more churches. Lord, we're dependent on you. And I want to pray for those who are here this morning who are, who are struggling in any way, but specifically with, with gender, that they would hear your voice saying, I love you. I want you. I thought of you. I made you unlike anyone else has ever lived. I want to redeem you and make you new. And I can't wait to spend all of eternity with you. May those words be for those people who are, who are here experiencing that. And for us as a church, would we move as you did, Jesus? Move with arms that are wide open to any race, any color, any language, any confusion of gender, sexuality, any brokenness whatsoever, that we would move because we too were broken. And you changed us and you're changing us. So we should be the most humble yet confident people, not in ourselves, but in you. Would you cause us to celebrate this morning? Because you've taken broken vessels, and and you've repaired us, and you've made us new, so we truly can sing out of hearts that are full of joy. So we love you, King Jesus. We ask you to rescue many in this city, and that you would rescue anyone here this morning that doesn't yet know you. We love you. Amen.